health care is broken, and the healthcare industry is not going to fix itself. Reconstructing Healthcare is a podcast series where we interview the rebel entrepreneurs working tirelessly to disrupt the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we break down everything that's wrong with the current healthcare system and provide you with a blueprint to create better results. Now, here's your host, Michael Maneri. All right. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Simon Matthews from Vivante Health. Simon, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be with you. So here's the game plan. What we seek to do on this show is uh, challenge status quo purchasing methods and educate our audience on non-traditional ways to either lower healthcare costs or improve value for employees. Sound like something you'd like to help with? Absolutely, Michael. I think there's uh, a lot to chat about and uh, happy to dive in. To get us started, I'm going to read a a brief uh, bio about you um, so our audience has a little bit of context about uh, who they're listening to, and uh, then we'll jump into it. A distinguished clinician and researcher, Dr. Simon Matthews is the chief medical officer at Vivante Health and a practicing gastroenterologist at the John Hopkins School of Medicine. For the past three years, he has served as head of clinical innovation at the John Hopkins Armstrong Institute of Patient Safety and Quality, where he led the Institute's efforts to improve clinical outcomes, patient experience, and healthcare value using technology. His research has focused on understanding and improving the quality of digital health. Additionally, Simon is the author of numerous peer-reviewed papers, including those featured in JAMA, Gastroenterology, Gastrointestinal Endoscopy, Health Affairs, and Digital Medicine. Prior to his career in medicine, he worked briefly in investment banking at Goldman Sachs in New York, and Simon is a graduate of the University of Virginia and earned his medical degree at John Hopkins School of Medicine. All right, Simon, anything else uh, you'd like to tell us about yourself? (laughs) No, I think that was... Pretty comprehensive, uh, but yes, it's it's great to bring different perspectives to this work, and right. uh, that I think informs kind of what I do every day. Very cool, very cool. So you've had a long uh, history on the on the clinical side. Not mentioning the brief stop in investment banking, I had a brief stop in investment banking as well, and quickly realized uh, it wasn't for me. <laughs> so tell us, how did you how did you become interested in you know working for a company like Vivante that is is really set up to serve employers? Sure. I think it uh, starts with my passion and interest in technology and really sort of thinking about how we can, like you said, improve the status quo in medicine. And I think we encounter so much fragmentation in the practice of medicine and there's so many efficiencies that we, uh, we, we can achieve with technology. And so it started with my research work and trying to develop solutions and also to really study the space around digital health and understand where the gaps are. And not surprisingly, there's sort of major gaps when it comes to the quality of evidence and the quality of solutions that are out there. And it was honestly uh, rather serendipitously that I I got connected with Vivante. I was presenting at a conference on digital health on the need for greater evidence Mm -hmm. uh, where I met the company's founder and really shared my perspective on, you know, ensuring that digital health brings uh, evidence and uh, rigor to uh, to solutions, to patients, to employers, the, the whole set of stakeholders. And um, he really bought into that uh, vision as well. And, and the rest is history, as they say. Uh, and it's been a great opportunity to put into practice a lot of the conceptual or theoretical things that I think we need to do uh, with digital health. And it's great, obviously, that it overlaps with my area of clinical expertise. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, a win-win uh, when it comes to blending all the things that I'm interested in. 
Well, very cool. I'm interested in getting into the the, the details on on uh, clinical quality and evidence based medicine when it comes to this particular you know topic. But let's let's start at the macro level, and then we'll kind of get into the Vivante product and service. Yeah. Um, ne- nearly a fifth of the United States economy goes to healthcare spending. You know, far larger than any other country you know in the world. We've discussed on this podcast many of the misaligned incentives that are built into the healthcare and health insurance supply chain that naturally lead to high inflation year in and year out. But I'd love to get your perspective. I mean, what do you think are some of the key issues with the current healthcare delivery and payment system that we have today? Sure. I think, you know, you outlined a, a great place to start in terms of the misalignment of incentives. I think from a practicing clinician perspective, there's just a lot of fragmentation inefficiency, right? So, you know, most doctors, I would say, just want to take care of their patients and do yes. it right by them. And we are inundated with so much that has nothing to do with actually taking care of patients. And, you know, not surprisingly, all of those different steps require greater resources and, 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 and really make it a system that really doesn't deliver on what we all came into it hoping to, I think. So I think, you know, fragmentation is the big piece when it comes to delivery of care for me as a clinician. How can I ensure that an individual patient is getting the best care that they deserve? There's so much of a gap once they leave the clinical setting, right? And that's where 99% of of care really takes place is outside of the hospital or clinic. And so how can we make that piece of the puzzle a much more rewarding and and impactful uh, place for for patients? Uh, You see a lot of the balls getting dropped when patients come in uh, looking for second opinions or just coming across from uh, different, different institutions Everybody does it a little bit differently, and that leads to a lot of things getting getting dropped in this, and that's really unfortunate. I agree. We've talked about that same uh, topic a number of times on this podcast, you know, especially with you know primary care physicians um, mm-hmm. who are you know working in the the direct primary care movement to provide you know more of that uh, holistic care and glue for the patient with the specialist that they're interacting more right. of a, a team based approach, if you will. When we think about population health risks and major conditions that drive healthcare costs, we typically will hear about diabetes, COPD, hypertension, and heart disease. But rarely do we do we talk about digestive disorders very much, and and it certainly doesn't pop up on utilization reports because I don't think we're not necessarily tracking it. So, can you talk a little bit about how big of a problem is? this digestive disorders? And and can you talk a little bit about the prevalence of them and maybe some common examples? Sure. Yeah. So great question, Michael. And and I think um, it's it's really a misnomer and it's a great place to start, right? So when we think about digestive disease, nobody has as a a medical condition, oh, I have digestive disease. No, they have something very specific. They have an example of a digestive disease. When we think about digestive disease as a group, um, you know, the NIH puts it at 70 million people in the United States, right? That's wow. well over double than, than diabetes, for example. Um, but the problem and the challenge is it's not just one thing. It's dozens of things. Mm. You know, it's something as common as reflux, you know, uh, which is up to 20% of the population. It's uh, things like irritable bowel syndrome that folks may have heard of. But it's also more complicated things like liver disease, uh, lots of examples underneath that from alcoholic liver disease to fatty liver disease. It's uh, inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, 
uh, pancreatitis, diverticulitis, bleeding. Uh, so I think you kind of get the point here. Uh, when you put all of these things together, you get a much more robust and complete picture about the actual burden. You know, we're talking, I think the, the latest paper in 2018 really put the burden around $136 billion annually in the United States. Wow. Uh, we're talking big numbers here, huge uh, footprint when it comes to uh, impacting. And I think the other part that's worth mentioning is there's sometimes some stigma associated with digestive conditions just because of some of the common symptoms, bloating, gas, abdominal pain, um, alterations in bowel movements. These are not topics that most people often feel comfortable talking about. But that doesn't mean most people don't know somebody or have experienced some of these symptoms themselves. And I think as, as a gastroenterologist, that's what people come to talk to me about. And I can tell you that everybody, uh, almost everybody, I should say, has, has to deal with these issues or know someone where these issues come into play. And so there's a little bit of accounting that needs to be taking place. And then, then there's sort of the visibility and the comfort level about talking about these conditions, which I think really, unfortunately, lead to it being underrepresented when it comes to being on people's radar. But hopefully that's why we're here uh, to put some more uh, of the spotlight on. You know, you mentioned a lot of, of uh, different, um, you know, types of, of digestive disorders there. So how are those being treated today? And, and what are the cost implications of treatment for those types of disorders for employers? I think the important uh, point to re reiterate is it's impossible to paint with one brush all of these conditions. So mm -hmm. when you think about the group as a whole, you have certain conditions that are episodic, acute. Think about appendicitis. Boom, it's, a, it's just sort of a, a point on the, on the map that, that comes and goes. Then you have conditions like reflux, which could be chronic uh, and also waxing and waning. Uh, and then you have conditions like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, which uh, also have uh, an autoimmune component that, that really can be exacerbated to major hospitalizations and complications and also require pretty heavy heavy duty medications in terms of therapies the biologic drugs for example are, are the most common example and so you know again you see all of the above when it comes to acute episodic care mm -hmm. you see high utilization when it comes to outpatient you know when you think about abdominal pain nausea vomiting bloating common reasons folks talk to primary care doctors common reasons why they see folks like me in the GI clinic. And so you see it across the board and you can go all the way to the most specialized uh, and sort of high cost when you're thinking about liver transplantation, you're talking about very sick patients in the ICU uh, on, on that end of the spectrum, obviously looking for a very rare, rare resource uh, in that scenario. So again, it's really hard to paint it with one picture. Sure. And it's important to know that you see all of it. As a point of reference, right, when we talk about, you know, a diabetic cohort within an employer population, you know, typically the annual cost for that diabetic cohort will be, you know, thirteen dollars to $15,000 per year. And I think that's kind of what we've done with some of these other categories, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the hypertensive population. Mm -hmm. um, and so what you're saying is because of the wide variety of types of, of disorders, it's a little bit harder to you know, associate like, you know, an annual cost per person per year for, for these and, types of things. And again, it's not to say you can't, but, you know, it's recognizing that no one person actually represents that number because it's a blended right. that's value. Right. And that's not to say that we're not trying to, to add more color to that picture. Yep. Um, we're actually collaborating with the University of Texas on a, on a study looking at the market scan database 
to really pull apart sort of a, a working population in terms of the burden of, of digestive disease and really get at that sort of both macro picture all the way down to the individual condition level as well. You know, not enough attention to the to the area and we're hoping to, to shed a little bit more light. So yeah. looking forward to sharing those results when we have them. For sure. So I think some of, some of the symptoms in talking with some of your colleagues, I think are, are expected, right? I mean, you mentioned a couple of them, you know, bloating, gas, discomfort, pain. There's some other symptoms which... I found surprising, which were things like depression, fatigue, insomnia. And this correlates, I think, with research out there that indicates that gut health is perhaps a lot more important to our overall well-being than maybe previously thought. Can you expand a little bit on that for our audience? Sure. So I think, you know, most of us anecdotally know that there's a connection between how your gut feels and how the rest of you feel. Uh, we have common sayings, right? Go with your gut. It's really permeated sort of how we, how we think and talk about things. Um, and that's for a reason. There, there is a well-established connection between the mind and the gut. Um, and that's both, you know, most people don't know, but outside of the brain, you have the most number of neurons in the GI tract. And there is sort of this direct bi-directional connection between the central nervous system and what's called the enteric nervous system. And so you're sending signals up to the brain and the brain is sending them back down. And so, you know, I don't think it's hard to imagine a, a friend or a colleague who, you know, under certain levels of stress really exhibit worsening or exacerbating of, of GI symptoms and, and, and vice versa. And so while we don't fully have that process mapped out scientifically. Yes. There's plenty of evidence to, to suggest that those connections are there. And obviously it's an area of active research. There's an entire subfield of GI called neurogastroenterology. So just to give you an example. Mm -hmm. So I think to your point, Michael, the impact of gut health or GI health on mental health, well-established, you know, the impact on immune conditions also links there. And so it's really important to not think about these conditions in isolation. And then you, know, you think about overall quality of life, that's also a big issue in terms of you know, absenteeism and underperformance at work and all of that. Those issues really come into play because it's not just an isolated part of your body. It really does affect uh, all, of, all of you. Yeah. And, and, you know, anecdotally, I see that because I have a family member who exhibits, you know, a lot of the symptoms of, of um, poor gut health. You know, there's the fatigue and, and insomnia. It definitely makes sense to me having seen a family member, you know, struggle with some of those, uh, you know, digestive issues. I think this is a good bridge to kind of go into the Vivante Health product and service. And, and so can you tell us a little bit about what is the product and service and what problem you're trying to solve? Sure. So uh, starting with the problem, right? we've, we've sort of touched on it. It's sort of this underappreciated uh, but large and problematic space uh, and costs associated with digestive disease. And really sort of there being a lack of a dedicated solution that targets this large area of concern and cost, right? The solution itself, it's sort of a comprehensive digital platform that addresses sort of management of digestive disease. It integrates common features of, in, a, in a mobile format, uh, iOS, as well as Android and web, uh, but it also integrates a care team. Uh, and we, we're talking about a health coach, as well as a licensed dietitian to work with uh, that personalized plan. And so 
the way that it generally works is that individuals get connected to our care team. They get connected to our app. Uh, we learn a lot about them through our detailed sort of assessments, mm-hmm. and we're able to uh, craft a personalized plan that really articulates how we can hopefully help them. And we have a variety of levers and tools, whether it's diet, whether it's lifestyle, whether it's getting people connected to care that they need. That's really on an individual basis, mm-hmm. but it's really about offering a comprehensive solution. And I think that's where you know a lot of the background that we've talked about so far comes into play um, because we're not offering one size fits all. I mean, based on everything you've talked about so far, you and your audience should probably know by now that there's no such thing as one digestive disease. And so yeah. the way that we're tackling that is by uh, developing clinical pathways that are disease specific. Uh, really, you know, if you come into clinic to see me for reflux, I'm going to ask you a certain set of questions. If you come in and talk and you have a history of inflammatory bowel disease, it's a completely different set of questions. Mm-hmm. Why would I, I wouldn't treat you the same and I wouldn't right. manage you the same way. And so we're developing disease specific pathways to identify gaps in the quality of care that individuals are receiving based on best practices and evidence. This is where that background um, comes in. It's really ensuring that people are, are getting the quality of care that they need and then using the platform, uh, all of its features, whether it's mobile or in-person, in-touch uh, individuals to get that person to fill those gaps and really improve the overall um, quality of their digestive care. So really excited. We're, we're starting with uh, pathways for common conditions, but we're also developing pathways for common symptoms and then also for overall gut health. So I don't have a digestive disease. I don't have a symptom, but I want to optimize everything I can do. Yep. So here we're talking about colorectal cancer screening, for example, mm-hmm. something that's applicable to everyone. Yep. Uh, and how can we help people get connected for, for resources that involve that? Yep. And so I'm really excited that this is a solution that I wish was was out there in the way that I'm describing, you know, when I have patients that, that need that extra level of support, right? It goes yep. back to sort of what is the current model of delivering GI care? Again, very episodic. I have a problem. I need to go in. Let's see you in a couple months. Let's see you in six months. Very, very little feedback in terms of what's happening in between those episodes. We have the ability through the platform, uh, you know, digitally to connect with people with, you know, obviously prompts in terms of evaluating how they're feeling and then having that in-person connection to really navigate some of those barriers that individuals have to, to getting the care that they need. Let's talk about that for a second, because you're, you're pointing out a gap in care. So I want to be able to, to talk about how you're making it, improving the consumer experience or the patient experience. Sure. So in a normal situation, to your point, you go in, this is what I'm feeling. Okay, try this. Let's talk in three or six months. So in this model where you're digitally connected to a care team, I think you said nutritionist, health coach. So how does it work? You know, is there is there a, a, a feedback loop that's mm-hmm. going on where a patient, uh, where you're checking in with them or they're reporting out symptoms to you? So tell us how that works. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, you nailed it on the head. So we, we do initial assessment to get an understanding of where those gaps are. And we're presenting back to them uh, an action plan that says these are the specific things that we know about you that, that really could benefit from getting sort of buffed up. And here's how you can do it. Some of it involves reminders in the app. If you're having trouble forgetting your medications, then we can set reminders. If you're having trouble 
getting an appointment, you know, our, our health coach can help you navigate and, and figure that out. And so it's not a generic solution in that context. So, you know, historically people come in, they have a condition like reflux. I'm going to give them a generic handout uh, or a printout or send them to a website that talks about the average person. You know, in our scenario, we're asking them, you know, do you know your triggers? Do you uh, have a high level of confidence? If the answer is no, you're going to be able to log your foods. You're going to be able to track your symptoms. You're going to be able to talk to our dietitian, come up with a very personalized approach. And then we're going to be checking in on you. You're going to yeah. be, um, you know, essentially asked to, to let us know where are things going? How are things trending? We're using validated assessment tools to track progress. And if things are lagging or if, you know, things are trending in the wrong direction, we have alerts for that and can really sort of hopefully stem that decline or, uh, and really intervene before things get to a place yeah. where, uh, you know, people are feeling really uncomfortable. So you can, you can collect data, analyze data from, you know, what people are eating or if they had an episode, you know, assuming they're reporting it, you know, having an interaction with them be like, all right, well, what did you eat in the last 24 hours? Right. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. So I know that part of the patient process or maybe the intake process is a microbiome assessment. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us, you know, what that is and what the, what the purpose of it is and how it works and what do you learn from it? Sure. Yeah. So thank you for asking that. And, you know, microbiome just for, for everyone, who I'm, uh, there's a lot out there, but it's generally sort of the, uh, it's most commonly the bacterial population that's in your in your GI tract. Mm-hmm. There's other populations, viruses and things of that nature, and people and and fungi. But we most commonly look for bacteria, and this is a really exciting uh, space in the world of gastroenterology, and and that's because there's millions, and they're a natural part of of who we are. We've evolved literally to have this this homeostasis, this balance of of having bacteria play an important role, breaking down foods and producing other sort of products that ultimately are used in our body. And so it's a really exciting uh, frontier in terms of the the world of gastroenterology and the way that we use it and the way that the science right now about microbiome, what we know is, is mostly associations Folks who eat these kinds of diets generally see these bacteria in, in these proportions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people who you know, live in these climates sometimes have bacterial compositions that are different. Certain diseases impact the bacterial composition, right? And so there's some really interesting findings that help people understand kind of what's going on inside them. You know, where, where the research is headed is how do we manipulate these bacteria, whether through drugs, uh, whether through foods, uh, whether through supplements, etc. We do that already naturally. When you take antibiotics, it, it wipes out oftentimes certain kinds of bacteria. And so when you introduce a pet, when you uh, go out on a farm, uh, there are all these sort of, uh, when you deliver a baby. So there are all these different normal experiences that, that alter uh, our, our gut mac- uh, microbiome. And so how do we wrap our heads around that information, knowing that it plays a vital role in our gut balance? And how do we actually take advantage of that? Right now, you know, if you ask me as a gastroenterologist, how do you use microbiome in the clinic to help someone with their GI condition? The answer is we don't. Uh, it's not used for clinical practice right now. 
in a, in a real world application. That doesn't mean that there aren't uh, millions and millions of dollars of research going into how we can use that yep. and really exciting things going on in terms of, you know, predicting response to various, you know, chemotherapy treatments and uh, trying to figure out which drugs are going to work more effectively. And all of that is coming down the pipeline, but we're using it primarily to get people excited about their GI tract and getting them hooked into the platform and really engaging them into the evidence-based practices that we know can improve their health. And so, you know, if a so, patient- so, so I would imagine there's a story there that, you know, hey, we did this microbiome assessment. What's the story there that, that the patient is, is learning or that you're telling, you know, them about yeah. their, what's going yeah, on? absolutely. Right. So, and, and, and that's, that's actually sometimes the way we first meet uh, a member, right? It's because they, they see this and like, oh, wow, I'm really interested in learning more. And that's the first interaction. A lot of people meet before, but it's a great way to say, hey, you know, we noticed these, this aspect of diversity, for example, that's a very common metric, you know, how diverse is your microbiome? Mm. We know that certain health conditions affect uh, microbiome, certain uh, diversity, we know that certain diets can affect that. And so it starts that conversation of, Tell me a little bit more about what your diet is like. Tell me what else, what else you have going on. When someone comes with a diagnosis such as irritable bowel syndrome, you know, we're not necessarily going to say, oh, this bacteria was this high, and as a result, you should adjust this you know, fraction of blueberries in your diet to, to counteract it. Instead, we're going to say, hey, you know what? If you're interested in diet-based remedies or therapies for irritable bowel syndrome, have you heard of the low FODMAP diet? That's an evidence-based clinical trials showing benefit in certain populations. Yep. So we're going to use diet, we're going to use evidence, and we're going to get people on the right track. And I think, you know, again, this is me editorializing a little bit as, as, an, as a scientist and academic. It bothers me when some folks overstep sort of where the science is in terms of how we can use it. It's not to underestimate the promise or the, the potential, which we at Vivante and me personally believe in, and we're working to to show that. But, you know, it's really imperative for me to be very transparent in showing that we're following the evidence. If I'm not going to recommend that you do something based on this in my clinic, there's no way I'm going to have, you know, our product telling you to do something that I wouldn't recommend, right? And so that's kind of how I stand on this topic. And that's sort of the perspective, the clinical rigor and, and that focus on evidence that's really important to me. And it's, it's thankfully, I think something that the company really shares in terms yeah. of. Yeah. So, so just to re- recap that, I mean, at the end of the day, there's a story there in, in, in the results from that uh, microbiome assessment, it might guide you into, you know, making some recommendations to somebody, you know, um, around uh, a certain strategy approach or diet per se. Yeah, and, and it's more of a, a macro consideration. It's really sort of zooming out and saying, what's bothering you? Sharing with them what we know based on the evidence. It's less bacteria-specific yeah. and more about condition-specific and symptom-specific. So someone gets engaged, you know, they start having interactions you know, with their, their care team. How do you guys track progress? I mean, that's, that's one of the things that... I think is, is missing. You talk about gaps, right? You know, we have a, a course of treatment, you know, how do we, how do we know that somebody actually gets better? I think there's, this is a big deal with pres- prescription drugs, 
right? Sure, I mean, sure. how, who's tracking if the drug that costs three to $5,000 a month is actually effective, right? So, <laughs> sorry, I'm about to go on a sidebar, <laughs> sidebar there, but how are you guys tracking results and prog- progress with an active participant? Sure. Yeah. So great question. So I, I like to think about sort of what is the, the non-digital version of this look like, right? So that's, you come into the office and I say, hey, uh, Michael, it's been, it's great to see you. How have things been going for the last six months? So how do you, how do you synthesize six months of experience in terms of how you're feeling? I mean, again, we, we ask people to do this every day. It's not a fair question. And so this is really where digital health can, can play a role, right? So we have these daily check-ins that really allow us to track both your symptoms, uh, your bowel habits, it, and, and provide sort of a longitudinal view. Yeah. Right? We're also using validated you know, disease-specific survey instruments that have been shown to track with, with certain conditions in terms of monitoring uh, overall progress. And so you know, while we do the daily check-in, which is more of a, a micro view that allows us to sort of anticipate trends, we also do more longitudinal assessments uh, that are sort of at the monthly, bi-monthly level that allow us to sort of more, um, again, holistically see where any individual is going. And that's usually a signal that our care team will will use uh, in terms of promoting outreach. So mm-hmm. if we start to see that secondary assessment drop, then it's, it's an opportunity to really engage and say, hey, I noticed that you're, you're not feeling so well this time around. Um, tell me what's changed, what's going on. And so it, it starts that conversation. The analytics piece is, is very important and it's really exciting because you know, we're capturing high frequency data points that mm-hmm. you know, over time are really gonna be helpful in terms of predicting uh, hopefully outcomes. So what sort of results are you seeing in the, you know, the cohort that is, is actively engaged with you guys? Sure. I think, you know, there's, there's really exciting progress. When we talk about outcomes, there's, there's so much to, to sort of cover. Mm-hmm. I think when we focus on experience, we generally find that, you know, 80, 70, 80% are really more motivated, feel more supported, feel like they can have a plan when it comes to sort of managing their condition. So really exciting and promising sort of uh, self-management improvement. And I think, you know, with the development of our clinical pathways, Mm -hmm. uh, where we're really collecting sort of in-depth sort of clinical information, we're going to be in a position to report on um, those those absolutely critical clinical outcomes. So more to come on that front, but know that, um, you know, our care team NPS rating is is on through the roof almost at 80. And we're, we're really, wow. yeah, no, it, that, it's, that's, it's really, that's amazing. It's, it's, it's world-class when it comes to sort of that interaction and, and, you know, you just spend some time with any of those individuals and, and you can appreciate why people um, appreciate that personal touch. And so I think, you know, when it comes to getting people motivated in their health and invested in their health, uh, we're already seeing a real difference. And I think yeah. you know, any clinician can tell you that that's, that's an absolutely critical and necessary piece to, to moving the needle uh, no matter what. You know, without a doubt, digital health tools have an extraordinary capacity to improve the patient experience and, and make them feel more supported than the traditional, you know, you know physical uh, visit model. 
but you know, for an employer who you know, may be listening to this and is and is interested, you know, gen- generally, you know, employers you know make decisions based on two things: one, because they want to you know positively impact their employees, but two, uh, because they're looking for something that is going to provide a positive impact from a cost perspective. Yeah. Do you guys have any data to show, you know, how this is impacting overall costs for, uh, you know, this patient cohort that has digestive disorders? Sure. Sure. So we're wrapping up our, our official case study. And mm-hmm. so we're really excited about some of the preliminary results. And in terms of an ROI, we're, we're sort of over, over two X at this point. And we're, we're sort of, I'm holding off on the decimal point, until they, they officially release the uh, the report, but uh, so far things are looking really promising, and uh, we're getting great feedback. And, and that's really the other piece to this. You know, our, our customers, our clients, really appreciate the sort of personalized approach that we're taking. And so the the savings matter, the experience matters. Yes. Uh, and so we're thrilled to share more about that. And I think, you know. It sounds like uh, we'll have something out in, in literally the next week or two. All right. Look forward to to seeing that. One of the things that when something like this gets you know added to a health plan, you know the the results are only as good as you know the number of people who you know are enrolled. So, what are you doing to help employers sort of market this program and um, you know get patients, employees actually engaged in it? Yeah. So I think we we really represent the full spectrum. In terms of support, you know, we have clients that want more of a hands-off approach where they manage internally. They have a, a system in place, and and they we sort of plug into the system that's already there. Mm-hmm. But we have other clients that say, hey, you know, we'd really like you to own this, and really whether it's to design the posters, figure out all the the, the email campaigns, and we, we do that too. And so I think that flexibility has has really come in handy we sort of meet the client where they are mm-hmm. in terms of what they need and what, where their policies are because not everybody has that kind of flexibility and, and really offer a suite of sort of options ultimately that, that fits with their organization. So it, it's worked out so far and it kind of goes to that high touch experience uh, when we're meeting with folks because yep. we really just kind of want to make it easy to start with the solution. Yep, makes sense. What we haven't talked about so far is, is fee structure. So how are you guys structuring your fees uh, per employee per month or you know per encounter, per participant per year? There's a lot of different ways. Yeah, so there's some flexibility and variability in, in how this is has shaped up. Generally, it's per active member per month. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually on a quarterly basis is the way that we are sort of setting things up. And again, so if someone doesn't use the solution, people are not being billed for that. And I think that offers a lot of, you know, flexibility and, yes. and, you know, it puts the onus on us to make sure that we're delivering uh, a solution that actually has an impact uh, and gets people to, to change what they need to do. And so, again, you know, I'm not the business guy on the, uh, uh, at, the, at the company, but we do have some flexibility in terms of some of the arrangements, but that's been the most common, I think, uh, set up to date. I think that is actually, we talked about misaligned incentive. I think that's an aligned incentive right there. You know, to your point, puts the onus on you guys to get people uh, engaged. And uh, for the employer, they're not paying for something that's not being used. So so you guys are a relatively new company. You know, how many employers to date uh, are you working with or, or, you know, participants on the platform, whatever you want to share? Sure, sure. Well, we're, we're approaching about a, a dozen clients 
um, and uh, a great spectrum uh, in terms of numbers of employees and all of that. And we have in the uh, several thousands in terms of active members, and that's uh, a really great uh, place uh, to get some of this great data. And so we're, we're really looking forward to sharing more of those uh, sort of population level uh, outcomes. And we're excited that um, we have the numbers to, to really do that. I would imagine, maybe because you're, you're not the business guy, but I imagine when, you know, employers are, are looking at maybe Vivante, there, there's so many different, you know, point solutions out there or, you know, specific that, that targets, specific, you know, specific uh, uh, disease states. What are some of the obstacles that you think your, your team has encountered to an employer, you know, saying yes to, to implementing your service? Sure. Yeah. So I think, you know, and I, I feel like we've, we've certainly hammered this home. Some folks don't appreciate, you know, how big of a deal it is. And yeah. again, I'm biased. I, I work at Avante. I'm a gastroenterologist, you know, but, but the truth of the matter, the, the statistics don't lie, right? It's just, it's not as easy to, to quantify with a single button, for example, like diabetes. And I think, you know, for people to realize that you know, diabetes is, a, is the definition of a point solution, right? It falls within this broader bucket of endocrine conditions. Whereas what we're trying to offer is actually a much broader and more comprehensive platform than I think most people can appreciate. And, you know, we talked about the dozens of conditions that really fall under a digestive disease. And so when, when you say point solution, I, you know, I push back a little in that, of course, I recognize that it's one among this. Sure spectrum, but really, you know, covering digestive disease in and of itself is a, is a massive undertaking. And, and so I think we are among the only players out there that are really thinking about this space holistically, understanding that it's large, but you can't take a one size fits all approach. And yeah. I think that's really the differentiator here where we appreciate, and this is coming from the clinical perspective, to be honest, you can't treat all GI conditions the same. They just aren't. And so you can't have a solution that does the same thing for every GI condition. Yeah. And I think that's a real differentiator. And, and our approach is, is really about understanding the individual as a whole and recognizing that digestive disease is, is not one thing. And we're able to come to that individual with a personalized plan that really reflects the best of what we know about that condition today. Yeah. I think that's a great point that you made there. And I, I make the analogy uh, because I'm, you know, I live in a household where my wife has, you know, food sensitivities. One diet is not necessarily, or menu, right? One menu for the family does not necessarily work for everybody because our bodies react differently to, to certain foods. You know, I have a cast iron stomach and so I can eat most anything <laughs> and feel great. And my wife, on the other hand, is, is the opposite, right? So um, yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good point is that, you know, care, you know, needs to be individualized because we all have different makeups, Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other piece to, to that coin, which we touched upon, is that digestive diseases don't exist in isolation. You know, you're going to see a benefit, a connection between digestive disease and mental health. If we get someone feeling better in their gut, they're going to feel better overall. And I think that's the other piece to it. Why should people care? Because one, way more people have digestive conditions than you think or, or imagine. We just don't talk about it and they're hard to find. And that they actually have a really big impact on a whole bunch of conditions and the body holistically. And so, you know, again, I'm biased, but I, I know that 
this is a, a space that that needs help, needs solutions, and there's a real need from the patient perspective. Uh, yeah. People want more access. They want more resources. They want more personal touch. They want technology to, to help them in these areas. And the traditional clinical environment is unfortunately not set up to, to deliver on that. And so yeah. it's the perfect place for technology and innovation to, to have an impact. Yeah, no, I, th- I think this is, is super interesting. As you're speaking, you know, another question is, is just popping into my mind here. You know, one of the things that we're, we've talked about on this show and that we're talking to employers about is, is the concept of a primary care medical home and, and more of a care team approach. You know, it sounds like, you know, you're in favor of that as well. And so because this is so specialized, does your care team have the, the ability to interact with a member's primary care physician and, and, and share with that physician what you guys are learning in the data, what you're seeing? Because, you know, that, that patient may only see their primary care physician for 10 minutes a year. They're, yeah. they're not going to have the insight and the knowledge and the data that you guys are going to get. Sure, sure. So uh, directly plugging into a primary care doctor is not something that we do now yet. It's something that we've, we've certainly thought about, but it's not part of our solution today. But what we do do is, you know, we generate personalized letters mm-hmm. that say, dear healthcare provider, so-and-so has, we, we've identified that based on these characteristics, this individual may be at risk for X, Y, or Z. And not just that, um, we also say oftentimes this may require a referral to a gastroenterologist or additional testing such as, and we cite the reference so that people know that this is, this is high quality, you know, evidence-based information. And then we also, so they can print that out, they can send it, they can email it. Yep. But we also, you know, and this is an important part, we have sort of a module on how do you talk to your doctor, how to make the most of this time. We have an opportunity to talk to the to the care team and say, "Hey, I want to I want to be able to make the most of this communication with my doc. How should I talk to them about this? How should I how should I bring up uh, these topics? How do I, you know, voice my opinion uh, and advocate for myself?" And so we have strategies about that. And so that's that's currently how we try to come at it. But there is obviously an opportunity for much more integration down the line. Yeah. Well, version two point or three point that's right. That's right. <laughs> Maybe two and a half. We'll see. <laughs> All right. So Simon, this is, this has been a lot of fun and, and certainly insightful. Um, what are you most excited about right now in, in the business? Anything you'd like to, to share with the audience? Sure. You know, I think really the growth of our clinical pathways and really expanding to as many conditions and health maintenance, the colorectal cancer screening, super excited. I mean, these are ways in which we can touch almost every individual and make a difference. We know not enough people get screened and we have an ability to sort of help with that on the fly, easy way. So really excited about that. I'm really excited about the research and discovery aspects of the business, which we didn't really talk much about, but we have some really exciting, more science-based predictive analytics, doing more research around the microbiome, doing um, investigation around breath testing, which you know, we can talk about at some other point, but there's just so much that we can do today to improve the delivery of GI care that makes me excited about the company. And then there's sort of this vision for where we can go with the information that we're collecting and how we can use that to really intercept people's trajectories in a much more sort of 
thoughtful way. So again, that's what keeps me excited about Vivante and, and uh, still plugging away on, on things yeah. every day. We're, we're in the middle of a pandemic and COVID is still at large, but I will tell you what, a silver lining of this all is that people have embraced telemedicine and, and digital health in a way that was probably not possible prior to March. And so I think, you know, since that's happened, I think more and more people are going to be willing to embrace this concept of, of getting care in a digital format today than they would have pre-COVID. I think lends to, to the ability of you guys to make an impact, you know, for an employer and, and their employees. Absolutely. And it's exciting because I think, you know, all we want is the opportunity to, to, to deliver and show the promise and potential and impact that technology can have. And so that's, uh, it's, it's great. It's absolutely one of the unintended positive uh, side effects of, of all of this other craziness uh, going on. Yeah, uh, totally agree. All right. Well, Simon, if there was one question that I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it be? It wasn't exactly sort of articulated, but sort of why should people care about GI disease? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think, again, it's because it affects you, it affects me, it affects the people we care about. You know, I never like to lose sight of um, the individual. And I think, you know, when we, when we look at gastrointestinal diseases, digestive diseases, you know, they, they impact people in a very personal way. And, and I think that presents an opportunity to really help them in a very personal way. And I think that's, that's the beauty and, and potential and opportunity with technology is that it doesn't have to be a one size fits all. We can really make this, uh, make a difference uh, in a very personal way. And it's really about, again, getting to that individual level. It's, it's not assuming that everyone is the yep. same. Yep. So Simon, how can people interested in, in learning more about uh, Vivante get in touch with uh, your team? Sure. So we have uh, obviously our website, vivantehealth.com. That's V-I-V-A-N-T-E, uh, Vivante. Uh, and our, uh, our business contacts are all there and uh, happy to, honestly, if, if folks are interested in the clinical side of things, uh, I'd be happy to chat uh, as well. And so I'm at S Matthews, S-M-A-T-H-E-W-S at vivantehealth.com. I'd be happy to touch base uh, on that front as well. Well, on behalf of uh, our listeners and myself, Simon, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to do the, this interview. I think it's been a great discussion and, and certainly insightful. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's great to be with you and your audience as well. Thanks again. Awesome. So to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Vivante Health's website and contact information. Lastly, if you're enjoying the content on the show, take five seconds and leave us a review. You just need to open up the podcast app on your phone, Go to our show's page, scroll down to the bottom, and let us know what you think. Thanks again. We'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.